This is Hypercritical, a weekly talk show ruminating on exactly what is wrong in the world of Apple and related technologies and businesses. Nothing is so perfect that it cannot be complained about, at least not by the famous or infamous John Syracuse. I'm, I'm Dan Benjamin, and we're here today to talk about uh, geek stuff. Right? Well, this time around, you picked... Uh non-tech topics yeah i thought it would be we're gonna have to call this the non-tech show the non-tech show but it's still very geeky stuff because we had a lot well first of all i i just want to take a second to thank the audience great response seconding or hundredthing my motion to have john explain that yes in fact we should take time on this show to explain in detail in great depth why john does not have an iphone a lot of people wrote in. And by the way, thank you for that, and please stop now. <laughs> can, you, can you let me do some tech topics, a little bit of follow-up? Of course. Let's do the follow-up first. go into that, I'll try let's to do, do a limited amount, but I want to get some technology content in here. Let's do it. Um, all right. So uh, last show, what were we talking about? It was uh, Apple's hardware blind spots. Correct. Uh, I got a lot of feedback on that. Just want to point out a couple of things that people sent. Uh, one of them, I, I was talking about how uh, Apple's iDevices are uh, very slippery. That was actually the title of the episode, Slippery Little Pill. Uh, you can't put them on the arm of a couch because they go skittering off and they're just, you know. <laughs> exactly. Like, like a slick little silver fish. Right. Um, a couple of people uh, wrote in to tell me that that's actually an advantage if you want something like a phone to slip in and out of your pocket. Because if you have a grippy case on it, it's much harder to slide it into, I guess, jeans pocket or jacket pocket. Or right. Whatever. They're saying that's by design. I, I really doubt that they decided, let's make this thing as slippery as possible because you put it in and out of your pocket, you know, certain amount of time, but you hold it much longer than you, you know, that's a transition period, putting it in and out of your pocket. Obviously, you want it so it can get in and out of your pocket easily, but you're holding it for the vast majority of the time that you're actually using it. And it's much more likely it's going to slip out of your hand while you're holding it then it's going to slip out of your hand while you're going in and out of your pocket simply because you're holding it for so much longer. You're holding it while you're walking. You're holding it, you know, when you're using the phone. I don't know. I, I guess there is a happy medium somewhere between easy to get in and, out of, in and out of the pocket and not so slippery that it squirts out of your hand like a bar of soap. Yeah, um, I, I think people were just trying to say, John, that, that that maybe Apple intended it to at least be this way or, or something yeah, like this. I mean, I, I would be more inclined to think that they intended it to have a case if you don't like it the way it is, and them selling the little core of the device instead of the whole thing. Because look at Apple's case. They sell, you know, the bumper for the iPhone 4 is rubberized uh, and is very grippy and does not make it particularly easy to slide in and out of things anymore because it is uh, grippy on the edges. Um, it's not as grippy as a full silicone coat, but it's still pretty grippy. So I think they recognize that, well, I don't know, the bumper is all tied up with high antenna issues, so we can't really say anything about whether or not they wanted their case to be super grippy yeah, uh, or if they were just trying to cover the, the exposed antenna. Right. Uh, but it's, that's worth noting that there is definitely an advantage to slippery devices. And for people who don't have any problem with the thing slipping out of their hand or sliding off of the table, it is an advantage that it e- is easy to get in and out of your pocket. Uh, and you could argue that if it was too grippy, getting in and out of the pocket, could, it could increase the chances of it falling uh, because it's hard to get out of your pocket and you're struggling with it. Now uh, we don't even we don't even know, John, if you have a phone at all right uh, now. We're not up to that yet. I know, but I, but yourself. but 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 here's what I was going to say: Have you ever dropped a cell phone? 
whether you own one or not. Have you oh, ever? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yes, definitely. Why did it happen? Inattention. Inattention. Yeah. Because I've dropped. I've dropped. I have. Think. I'm very worried about dropping my my iPhone four. But I've dropped all of my other iPhones. I had the first generation, and then I had the the 3G, and I've dropped them. And I I dropped the 3G one way more than I dropped. It's not like I was dropping it every day, but the few times it happened, I dropped the 3G more than I dropped the first generation one. And I had these two things sitting out on the desk the other day. I was looking at them, and the back the back of the first generation iPhone is much less slippery. Than the three G and the, the the 3G is much less slippery than the, the iPhone four. You think the iPhone four is the most slippery? For me, it is because uh, well, it's glass. De- definitely, definitely, the first gen had a texture to it. It wasn't glossy on the right. back. It was kind of textured uh, metal, and, and that was kind of an in between. Although it was still slick enough to slide into a pocket. Uh, the the 3G generation, the one with the plastic backs, those were just mirror finished glossy plastic, um, and they were actually shaped like a bar of soap. So they were really actually slippery and curvy. Uh, I guess glass is very slippery too, but the the iPhone four has the advantage of being squared off a little bit. Um, so it, yeah, you I don't can know. you I, can kind of put your fingers around the sides of it, and that'll help. But yeah, it, it's also as, smaller, so yeah. it, you feel there's less contact area. The three G curves into your palm a little bit more. That's why sometimes holding the four feels a little bit awkward because it doesn't sort of conform to the cavity of your palm because it's completely flat on the back. But you don't think that there's been a trend towards slipperiness and that that slipperiness has been intentional? That was what I was asking. I'm not trying to no, get ahead of us. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think, there's been a, I think there's been a trend towards reducing the size. And that bulge in the back uh, is either, either they're putting components in that space or it's just wasted space. And once they could get something that was thinner, you know, the, the good thing about being flat all the way across is that you can take a, a width measurement and say, this is how thin the iPhone 4 is. Not like this is how thin it is at the edge. Like the iPad is really thin at the edge, but gets significantly thicker at the at the middle so if the ipad was the as thick as it is as thick its point all the right. way through it would be just a massive brick right. um so curving is what you use to sort of hide your mass but once apple could jam it all into something that was actually that thin all the way across that reduces the total volume and makes it a smaller phone uh, and i think that's what they were going for like you wonder if the, if you if they could magically make something the width of a credit card uh excuse me a credit card would they do it? Like, say you had something that was as thin as a credit card and it works exactly like an iPhone 4. Would that be an advantage or would you have to, would you have to fill the back with, like, ballast or something to make it so that you can hold it? Because <laughs> right. it's, it's awkward to hold something the width of a credit card. Or maybe it's not. I don't know. Maybe, obviously, we don't have the technology for that now. But at a certain point, those are the things you have to think about. Kind of like what they did with the uh, the, the buttonless shuffle. Yeah. Like, I think they went a little bit too far in, in how small can we make this. Mostly because they got rid of any possible place for controls uh, and people didn't want them on the wire but at a certain point technology becomes available to make the device disappear like it, you know you can make it smaller than the uh the headphones that you connect to it all right um dock connector uh a lot of people agree with my complaints about dock connector and a lot of people were asking about something that i didn't really bring up which is the wireless sync uh people are just tired of plugging in their iDevices and, you know, ignoring whether the dock connector is good or bad, why can't we just sync with everything wirelessly? I've heard a lot of theories on why Apple doesn't want to go wireless. Obviously, you can't really do wireless power without cooking yourself. Um, So you're going to need to plug it in to charge it at some point. And, you know, if you have to plug it in to charge it, why not make sync work when you plug it in? And Apple has the mobile me for the wireless syncing, so they do have kind of a wireless solution. But you can't, you know, come within the proximity of your computer and get the new podcasts automatically sent to your right. device. Right. Uh, the, the old school explanation was that wired connections are easier to debug and it's just one big giant hassle. Can you imagine being, you know, 
customers will be less successful if they have to debug wireless networking, even if it's Bonjour, even if it's even Bluetooth, people have prob- trouble with the, you know, the pairing and everything. Uh, so plugging in is just so much easier and there's less support calls, less of a support problem if people just plug the thing in. I think that's probably still true. And I think Apple is generally conservative in these things as it should be. If you're shipping a bazillion devices, don't do something weird and flaky. Like Palm doesn't sell enough devices to tell if this is the case, but even that little uh, touchstone thing that Palm has with the, yeah. wireless uh, docking thing yeah. i've seen people have trouble with that like is is it in the right place is, is the connection made it's a little bit fidgety maybe that's ahead of the curve on on mass adoption but i, I just don't think palm is sold enough to know whether that really is fidgety or it's just something people would get over um all right uh oh and i can't believe i didn't bring this up in i guess it's not apple's hardware problem but this is one of my biggest hardware peeves in the entire computer industry uh, I should have talked about when I was talking about the FireWire connections and their origins with the Game Boy and everything. Um, so I'll pose this as a question to you to see if I'm not crazy. But okay. Maybe you won't bite. Uh, if when someone is designing like a, a connector, right, or yeah. you're designing some sort of computer bus or industry standard or whatever, you know, SCSI or whatever, you know, there's some guy's job in the organization to design the wire protocol to design the you know the spec for it and also some last job to say this has to be a connector so someone somewhere in these giant corporations designs the connector like that's their job and i would imagine it's not like a side job like the guy who designs the wire protocol doesn't also design the connector it's probably some sort of industrial design group or something who designs the connector they're going to use now if this is your job you're the guy who's going to design the connector for something that's going to be plugged into millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of devices like, what are some of the things that would be on your mind in terms of, right, I, I want to do a good job designing this connector. What should I be thinking about? And you just, just rattle off a few that you can think of, just broad topics. Broad topics. You want it, you want it to be something that is uh, as small as possible. You want it to be something that's easy for the user to plug in and disconnect, right, you, to, to actually use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, ideally, you want it to do as many things as it possibly can at once. That would mean, you know, charge and carry an audio. Well, signal. you don't. You don't. So let's say you don't get to pick that because you don't get to oh. decide what the wires are. Like someone else has already said, this is going to ah, have wires. Okay. Going to have power. So your only job is to design the connector. Make it really easy for the person to plug in and unplug. That's that's number one. We on the, kind of we're on the same page. I mean, I would almost stop there. I would say that's the number one thing. May, well, you know, ideally, use 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 a form factor that exists and is going to exist on other devices too for universal compatibility. So, so what I would say, if that was my job, like say you want to do a good job, say you're like, I'm going to hit this out of the park because this is going to be used by millions of people, and this is just super important. I would just want to make the best connector ever. What would make the best connector ever? Yeah. And you would say, well, I'm getting excited to hear your on, answer now. Yeah. One of these things has got to be reliability, right? It's got to be able yeah. to plug, unplug, plug, unplug thousands of times without just disintegrating in your hand. Okay. That's super important. Durability. Right? I would say that's number one, because if you make some sort of connector that falls apart after 800 plugs and it goes, you know, industry wide, it's, it'll be a nightmare. Yeah. You know, it's going to all be breaking, right? But the second thing that I would think about, the second most important besides durability is the thing you brought up. Make it easy to plug and unplug and easy to me, means there's no wrong way to plug it in. Like like the FireWire connector, it's shaped kind of like a house. You know, you can only plug it in one way. You can't plug it in crosswise and like bend pins or right. or, or like jam it in just the, you know the wrong way so it gets stuck. You know, or causes a short or something like this. Is this is item number two after reliability? And the thing that drives me nuts is the guy whose job it was to design the connector for USB. 
which I don't know if you've heard of, but it's on a lot of devices these days. Like the original USB connector. The, <laughs> no, I've never, never heard of it. He made a connector <laughs> that is externally symmetrical, but internally asymmetrical. Yeah. It's like a cruel joke. He was, he was so close. He was like, <laughs> let's make it, you know, this sh- surely there's only one way to plug this in. Look, at it, it's a long, skinny rectangle. But then on the inside, he put something asymmetrical. And you can't, sh- you know, it's, it's the worst connector ever designed by man. I guess it's reliable. I guess we haven't had any problem. But that's like job number two. Like, where is this guy whose job it was to design the connector? I want to hunt him down and say, what were you thinking? This is, this is like a super important job and you screwed up item number two. <laughs> so, so which connectors do you like? I, I mean, Firewire four hundred is I'm, pretty good. I'm not a big, you know. I, I'm not saying that the bar has to be super high here. I'm just saying, like, this is the basics. Yeah. Like, if this was just some one-off connector of like a connector. So, which ones do you like? Which one can you hold up as a successful example? I think Firewire four hundred has only one way to plug it in. That's pretty yeah. good. Uh, even some of the other USBs, like mini USB with those little flanges, it's not great, but you can only plug it in one way, right? The thing about the USB connectors is the rule is basically the the connector should have a logo on top of it, like embossed or something or printed, and that logo should go facing up. But even that doesn't work because tons of computers have USB slots that are sideways. Mm-hmm. If there's a rule about them, whether it should be right or left facing when you're facing a slot, I don't know. But the bottom line is if you're reaching around behind something to plug in a USB thing, <laughs> you, can, you can't do it with your fingers unless you feel inside the connectors and try to figure out where the stupid thing is. And uh, this came up because I was looking at the light peak connectors I wanted to know if there were any. Had they decided on the light peak connector yet? Um, obviously, USB 3 is going to continue to use the USB 2 connectors with some crap jammed into the middle of it where they just put different connectors deeper in the thing. So that, that they're continuing the USB legacy of idiocy. But light peak, I'm like, please, guys, whoever's doing the light peak connector, make it either completely symmetrical so there's no wrong way to plug it in or make it asymmetrical completely on the outside so there's no wrong way to plug it in. Because you can do both. You can make it like a circle. And there's no wrong way to plug it in because it's just a ring within a ring within a ring, you know, like a headphone jack. No wrong way to plug that in. Or make it completely asymmetrical, like a FireWire 400 connector. You can't plug it in the wrong way. It only fits one way. So that's not really Apple's fault. It's Intel's fault or whoever did the USB connector. And maybe there's some sort of crazy legacy reason of like, oh, the connector had to be compliant with some ISO standard from 1972 and they have some excuse. Uh, I just think it's a travesty. Um, one more follow-up and then we'll, we'll move on. Okay. A couple people did send in uh, a patent story that was floating around about, you know, these Apple patent stories where Apple files a patent and it surfaces and people look at it and speculate about what uh, this could possibly mean for Apple. And one of their patents was for sending data over a MagSafe connector, sending optical data over a MagSafe connector. Mm. So it's like, it's like a MagSafe with right. power. It's got an optical cable buried into it. Um, and that's kind of, you know, we mentioned that in the last show of like, what could Apple do for a replacement for the dock connector? You know, just make it a serial connection. Um, and Lightpeak is, has the optical component to it. Uh, but it doesn't have to be an industry standard. If they still want to make it proprietary to lock in the accessory market or whatever, that's fine. Uh, and it looks like maybe they're investigating that possibility. Something uh, MagSafe is, is a neat innovation, and they have the patents on that. And if they can make some sort of easy snap-in MagSafe uh, thing with an optical cable embedded in it for all their data that's pretty cool too right yeah why not yeah and that would definitely it's it's not industry standard it's it would still be a proprietary thing so that's kind of a shame you know you wouldn't still wouldn't be able to charge your ipods with the standard mini usb connector mandated by the uh european union for all cell phones you remember that big thing yeah um but they allow you to use an adapter because apple has a lot of money and probably 
bribe them. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but yeah, I'd be excited to see any replacement for the dock connector that is a serial connection. And if it could also have power like MagSafe and could be put on all Apple products, not just the iPods, but like the iPads and, and laptops and everything, that would be neat too. So it'll be interesting to see if anything ever comes with that patent. Um, uh, one more rumor thing. Uh, iPhone Nano rumors were floating around. This was actually last week. I should have brought this up uh, in, in our show where we talked about what it would take to make the... Uh, iPhone and other iOS devices have the same success that iPods did. Right, uh, that was talk, that was a great show. Talked about uh, hardware diversification, and that at a certain point, you have to start to diversify if you want more of the market than ten or twenty percent. You know, the iPods, a line of maybe three or four or five different models of iPods at various times, uh, got maybe seventy percent of the digital music player market, but one model of iPod probably wouldn't have. So it's interesting to see the iPhone now rumors surfacing again. There's a lot of confusion about, oh, is it going to be you know, smaller? Are they going to change the resolution, all that business? I, I don't think any of that's necessary. When, when I say diversify the product line, I don't mean make a, make a slider phone with a keyboard or something crazy like that. I think you just need to hit different price points and different feature sets. You don't need to change the resolution because that would just hose all your app developers. Uh, if you change the size, you can change it in a way that is not radically different. So if it's like 0.1 or 0.2 inches different than something else, fine. Uh, and you can, you could still go with the last year's model thing for 99 bucks and make the last year's model, you know, a penny phone. But I think if you had a dedicated down market model and even a dedicated up market model where you had jammed as much flash as you could in there and put it, put like a, a 12 megapixel camera on it, make a high end phone, make a low end phone and have a middle of the road phone. I think that uh, is where they'll eventually go with at least three models of iPhones in the next, you know, five years or so. I don't know how far off this is, but I think they could start to diversify now. And I, and I don't think it means an iPhone shuffle or anything uh, ridiculous right. like that. So I think that's, uh, that's all the follow-up I'll do today. And then we can move on to your, uh, your favorite question. So our first sponsor this week is uh, Rackspace Hosting, who would like to ask, do you have what it takes to be king? Isn't that great? Build a unique and innovative app using Rackspace Cloud Files and compete to become king of the apps. The first king of the apps contest showdown will be held during the Lean Startup Track at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. With a top prize worth 10000 bucks. you can learn more and enter to win at rackspace.com slash king of the apps. And uh, going there will let them know that you're interested and that you support this very show. The the question was, which iPhone do you have, or have you gotten the new iPhone four? That type of thing, and your your response was shocking, kind of controversial, and and people are still reeling from this on on the internet. Is that you don't have a smartphone? Period. It's not just that you don't have an iPhone. You don't, but you don't have a, a smartphone at all. Maybe you don't even have a cell phone. We don't know yet, but you don't. And uh, you you very quickly said, well. I doubt that anybody, any of our listeners at all, could care less if I have one, let alone why, and, and certainly not worth talking about on this show. Huh. Huh. And I said, fine. If, if, if Listeners, if you're interested, email us. And I'll, first of all, I'll never do that again. <laughs> uh, so stop. Please stop emailing. But second... Uh, a lot of people emailed and they all said I'd like and there was I'd like to know why John doesn't and so there were two kinds of emails one of them was that people would write in and say dear dear sirs I would love to know why John does not have an iPhone thank you so much 
And the second kind was, I know why John doesn't have one. Here's why. And there were a lot, a lot of people wrote in with that kind of emails. There, there were a lot of people guessing. Yeah, let me just say for all the people who are emailing and going forward to the future, we should channel this energy that people apparently have to give feedback and channel into more constructive avenues, like perhaps leaving a nice review on iTunes, rating the show, telling your friends about it, that type of thing. I totally <laughs> Because agree. you're right. You're right. It was it was a little bit overwhelming to just all day long see the emails trickling in. Yeah. Uh, with very similar things. Now, as for what people want to know, I feel bad about this because we have this big buildup and everything, and I'm partially to blame for that. But it's the most boring possible. That's reason. what you think. I guarantee it's going to tell more about your well, character well, than anything so, else you've revealed on the show. So let me uh, let me read out some of the guesses here. We had some good guesses from very uh, good from guesses. People. Of why and I by the way, it. I still don't know the answer. Just to be to be clear, this isn't a ruse. I'm We're not sure I told game. you about it. You never told me, or, and you just forgot. Because never told me. All right. Uh, so here's one guess: is that I don't have an iPhone because I'm going to quote here. Uh, John Syracuse doesn't have an iPhone because he wants to be hyper productive and think deep thoughts. An iPhone with all its distractions <laughs> takes away from those things. That's boring, yeah. but ridiculous. <laughs> I really seriously don't have <laughs> those kind of deep. I mean, it's hard to tell if that was sarcastic. Uh, I'll just assume it was and give the person the benefit of the doubt. Um, some people made multiple guesses. This person, uh, Mike Wallstrom, made six guesses. Uh, number one, I'm frustrated with cell phone companies. Number two, I don't like locking into a con- being locked into a contract. Number three, I'm cheap. That was a very popular guess from people, by the yeah, way. Yeah. Uh, number four, I get most of the functionality from an iPod Touch with no monthly bill. Number five, I don't like people calling me all the time, which is true, but not the reason. And number six, I'm a control freak, which is true, but not the reason. All right, so so I know because you've said so that you have at least one, if not more, iPod touches. Yes. So we know we already know this. That's that's come out on the show, and I remembered that. That's good. Uh, you you do have a job that you commute to, so it's not that you know. And you're a, you're a family man, so I would think that you. My logic says you certainly do have a cell phone you have a phone so can we can we clear that up do you yes, have a- I, I definitely have a cell phone okay so this one person got it right on the nose nick braun or brawny sorry if i'm mispronouncing that name had like a one sentence email uh and he didn't guess that this was my reason he simply gave his reason and his reason essentially matches my reason his reason was 90 to 100 a month with taxes versus 100 dollars a year for a prepaid phone mm. so you're cheap so it's not cheap um, because I'm not, I, obviously I have tons of iPod touches and expensive. Nothing Mac wrong with being cheap, and, I, I, and I, I spend a lot of money on things like that. The thing about why I don't have an iPhone is because I can't justify the expense. Not that I don't want to spend the money, like because it's too much money or whatever, but because I can't justify the expense. And I'll tell you why. The times that I need to have a, a cell phone that does data are so vanishingly small, right? So I'm either. In my house, in which case I have Wi-Fi and computers and iPod touches, so I certainly don't need a data plan at that point. Driving my car, commuting to and from work or daycare or school, where I shouldn't be on the phone anyway and certainly not looking at data. Um, if I, we have a dedicated GPS from way back when, so I don't need to use it for GPS type things. Or I'm at work, where I have a computer in front of me and there's Wi-Fi and, all, and I actually bring my iPod touch to work with me uh, as well. And, that, and that's basically it. I'm never out and about in a place where I say, boy, if I had a device with a data connection over 3G, I could really do what? Like, so if I was to pay whatever it is per month, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80, $90 a month for this phone, and I was to count, like, how many minutes did I use data during a month, it, would, it, it might be zero. 
Like I can't, I can't even think of a time where it occurs to me that, you know, obviously if I was traveling, if I was going to a conference or I was going on vacation or something like that, then you can start to justify it. But I go on one or two vacations a year, don't go to really a lot of conferences or anything. And even conferences have Wi-Fi all the time anyway. I'm just not a traveler, which is another topic we'll probably talk about in this show. Yeah, that's on this show. But it's just so massively expensive. And um, think of other things I get for that cost. Like my my cable television and Fios bill combined is... uh, hundred and something dollars, but I get like a bazillion HD channels and ridiculously fast fiber optic connection to my house for that money. I can justify that easily. Like mm. I use Netflix over it. I get all these HD channels. I pay for HBO. Uh, and of course, my internet connection that all my devices use, that is what you want to spend a hundred plus a month for. But for this phone, it's ridiculous. So now with the phone that I do have, when do I ever use it? It's just to, to be like, you know, I'm late picking up the kids. Can you get them or pick this up from the store before, you know, that type of communication on the go someone's at uh, i'm in a grocery store i want to get a call about what i'm supposed to pick up or something like that like or the true definition of of a phone what a phone would really be used for before yeah, there was a smartphone and even that is really rare like so i get the cheapest possible phone i can buy with the cheapest possible plan so i get a pre prepaid phone and the prepaid things they want you to buy minutes that expire and you have to keep rebuying minutes or whatever so the cheapest uh, you can buy on my prepaid phone thing is like buy a year's worth of minutes or buy minutes that last you for a year so at the end of the year, you have to buy more minutes uh, just to keep the minutes that you have going. And I've had this phone for many, many years now. And at the end of every year, I just keep accumulating minutes. Because I use, I should measure it, I use maybe 100 minutes of phone time a year, 50. Like, and, and my phone currently has maybe three or 4,000 minutes. And every year, I have to buy like 300 <laughs> more minutes. I just do not talk on the phone ever on the cell phone, right? Yeah. I have a phone sitting next to me in my house. The phone's all over my house. I have a phone on my desk at work. And the cell phone is just for those rare, you know, emergency or on-the-go things where I need to call somebody. Usually, The only person I ever call is pretty much my wife or my brother or, or like daycare or a school or something like that. And occasionally I give people my cell phone number, like contractors for the house or, you know, mortgage people or whatever who want to be able to get me on the go. And that adds up to like 15 minutes a year. Tops. So there's just no way I can think about paying, uh, you know, up to $100 a month for an iPhone as much as I would love to have an iPhone. And if I did have a smartphone, I would buy an iPhone. You know, no question about that. I wouldn't be looking at Android or anything. Right. And not to mention that if I got one, then my wife would demand one. And then I got to pay $200 a month. And your kid's probably old. The oldest one is probably old enough to kind of want one. No, he's six. He's, I mean, he, he wants oh, yeah, the, yeah, I thought he was older. To, play with, to play with the iPod touches. Yeah. Uh, he likes them and he plays with even though he's, we gave him the first generation touch after we kind of outgrew it, but he still likes the other touches because they're fancier and <laughs> have speakers on them. That's a big thing. The original iPod touch was so crippled. They're all kind of crippled, but they didn't even put a speaker on it. So it just has a beeper. So you can't play any game that has audio. It's disappointing. What, what about the value of an iPhone for consolidation of devices? For example, you can take pic- very good, if you've seen James Duncan Davidson and some other people, you can take very, very good pictures I can't, but other people can seem to take really great pictures with an iPhone 4. So there's there's that. There's the oh. fact that, yes, it's, it's still a phone, but there are other apps and things that you could use. I mean, it, it, perhaps, do you think that it doesn't appeal to you? Is it purely the money? Because I, I know you, and I know that if something was important, you could justify that, the expense. that's just it. I, I'm a pragmatist. It doesn't matter how important. You have to say, like, what are you paying all this money for? Mm. Like and what it comes down to is it's a shame that the iPhone is so tied up and like you have to get a data plan you have right. to pay for you know all this other stuff and everything is so expensive there's no there's no product 
tailored to my needs. And my needs are so incredibly minimal. Like, you know, I just need a tiny little bit of voice minutes and a tiny little bit of data that I would probably never use. Um, but they don't give you that plan. The cheapest you can get into an iPhone for is pretty darn expensive. Um, so if I can't get an iPhone, I go all the way to the other end. Uh, you know, the cheapest little cruddy device. I don't even know what kind of phone I have. It's it's like an ancient, you know, from the from the 90s, a little tiny screen that's got a bunch of dotty pixels on it. Uh, for a while, it wasn't even color. I actually traded up to a color one a couple of years ago. <laughs> you know, it flips open. It looks like one of those Motorola StarTac things, only a little bit smaller. Um, I don't even know what network it's on. I don't even care. I get coverage in my house. That's all I need. I get coverage at work, and that's about it. Um, for consolidation, I don't really carry a camera with me. I'm not like one of those people. Again, I'm not traveling around the town and, and doing all this stuff where I'm taking pictures of everything that I do and sending them to Instapaper and all that stuff. That's just not what I do. It's the only time Instagram. I use Instagram. <laughs> yes, sorry, Instagram. Too many Insta products. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so the only time I would actually use a camera is if I'm on vacation. And then I have my, it's not a fancy camera, it's not even a DSLR, it's one of the Canon Super Zooms, which is kind of a middle-of-the-road, bad-at-everything camera, mm. but it's still better than the iPhone camera, marginally at this point. It's maybe the next iPhone, it will actually be worse, but it's got you know better light-gathering capability, higher ISO, uh, just a bigger lens, and it's got a really big optical zoom, which is great for getting pictures of kids on vacation. I don't know what I'm going to get for my next camera, but Super Zooms are not small. They're bigger than an S95. They're not a point-and-shoot. They're kind of they're like, pictures as bad as a point-and-shoot, but with the bulk of a DSLR. That's kind of the pitch for a super zoom camera. But they do have advantages uh, in that they do have a really big optical zoom, and they do have better light-gathering capabilities than all but the very highest of high-end uh, point-and-shoots. Uh, so the consolidation is not something for me. And plus, when I'm on vacation, I don't have my cell phone with me. I just have the camera. So that consolidation would not help me. Hmm. Um, and my camera is cheaper than an iPhone. Uh, I think it was only like... Well, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was 500 bucks back in the day. But uh, I, I feel I worry less about dropping the camera because I've had it for, you know. But if they if they made it so that the iPhone didn't require a data plan or you could turn the data plan yeah, on yeah. Well, if I, what, went, what I then. Would, what I would want is, uh, what I always wanted is an iPhone 4 without the phone. And they keep making the iPod touch crippled. The first generation didn't even have a speaker. That really burned me. Like, no speaker? The original Mac had a speaker. You know, it didn't just beep. It didn't just beep like the PC. It didn't even have a speaker. And the next generation, you know, didn't still didn't have a microphone. Now, it, you know, the, the current generation has the really insultingly cruddy camera, like one megapixel or some insane. I forget what the what's the backside camera on the iPod Touch. It's some horrible thing. You can't use it to take real pictures. I just want an iPhone four without the phone part, and they just won't make that. Uh, maybe because they it would cost five hundred bucks, right? Because the iPhone is subsidized, so the actual cost. Uh, the iPhone is like $600 or something like that. But I, I guess they just get much bigger margins on the iPod Touch when they can make a device for 200 yeah. bucks and they have to cut corners somewhere. Uh, but uh, you think of it like the iPad. Like the iPad has the optional 3G type thing. If I could get an iPod Touch with optional 3G data, I would probably get that uh, because there's no contract. And when I went on vacation for you know that two weeks in the summer or something, I would buy the month worth of 3G and use it when I'm out. But even on vacation, I go on vacation now places that have Wi-Fi in the house. So it's not, you know, it's just so hard thinking of a, a place where I would use it. Now, I suppose if someone gave me one for free, I would try to ditch my dedicated GPS and use the phone as a GPS, I guess. So that's one case where I'd be using 3G data. But I'm really hard-pressed to think of an environment where I would need uh, an iphone it's just just because of what my life is and the way i live i'm going to work and school and daycare and don't have a lot of time to be out in the town really kids keep me busy 
It's good reasoning. I can't argue with it. And I think there's a lot of people who are like that. If you're if you're single and don't have a family and don't have a mortgage at, and have much more leisure time, you're like, you know, I, I'll blow a hundred bucks a month on this thing just because it's you can justify it in your lifestyle. You say, oh, well, I'm going to end up using this. I'm going to be out and I'm going to go through my data. I'm, in fact, I'm worried about hitting the data cap limits, you know, and I'm going to use my voice minutes. I'm going to use the texting stuff and actually use what I'm paying for. I, I feel like you can justify that. Or if you do it for a living and you have to get the phone because you need to review it, so on and so forth, that's definitely not me. I don't review any hardware products, really. Uh, so... Uh, I don't know how much Gruber needs. I guess he's he goes out to conferences and stuff like that. But you know he doesn't even leave his house on his normal work day. So certainly he doesn't need a 3G data connection during those times. But he needs to have a phone just because that's you know his job. He writes about it. Uh, so you got to have one just for review purposes. But I don't have any of those constraints. Hmm. At least he thought it through. Yeah, and, and uh, I will add that my wife is constantly pressuring me. She wants an iPhone to get an iPhone, and I keep telling her. Does she listen to the show? Uh, no. no, but we've had the same talk many times. I keep telling her the same reasoning, and she's less receptive to my uh, to my uh, rationale and logic. Does she though- need your permission to, to get one? That's how it works in marriages, you know. If you're gonna have, you're gonna add a monthly expense to the family's bill of, uh, you know, fifty, seventy, a hundred dollars. It's not, it's something worth discussing. Yeah, you'd need to talk about it, but she could still go do it. Yeah, we usually tend to have a consensus on. I'm gonna. I would. I'm gonna encourage her to go pick one up. She wouldn't do that. She doesn't buy technology products on her own. Yeah, that's that's the thing. She would want your say because then she'd come back with the 32 gig, and you'd say 32 gigs. Yeah, yeah. She there's certain aspects of the family life that I handle, and one of them is buying any sort of technology product. And I think she's been reasonably happy with my choices so far. So it defers to me in these matters. But yeah, she got like six or seven TiVos. Yeah. She 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 wouldn't want to uh, uh, she wouldn't have an opportunity to use it either really because she has the same schedule as I do she's not constantly out needing a three G data connection she just thinks it would be cool so yeah. uh, I got her the new iPod Touch for Christmas and I think she's happy with that so far. But if they if they did come out with one where the data plan was optional or you could turn it on and off the way you can with a with a three G iPad you might you might then you might get it yeah because like I would have bought uh, a new iPod Touch for myself as well if the camera wasn't crap. So I keep holding out hope that they're going to, I keep skipping generations of iPod touches, waiting for them to get, uh, you know, to make that iPhone without a phone. So there's no compromises and I'll pay the money for it, whatever they want to charge. But so far they have not wanted to go that high end with the iPod touch. Yeah. And so they're all compromises. Well, I mean, I, you know, I'm sorry to, to disappoint anybody who was hoping I was going to try and change your mind about this. I'm not, I think those are all valid reasons for, there was a long time where I questioned whether I needed the smartphone at all. About a, about a year, year and a half ago, I was very much saying I, I would like to go down to just having a, a dumb a dumb phone, a feature phone, uh, because I was very much in 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 that same kind of mindset. Uh, but you know what? I, I couldn't I couldn't make it work for me. And you know, you do there is some discretionary you know income in the budget where you say I'm going to pay for something that's, that's frivolous, uh, you know, or that's going to be my fun thing. Um, and I have plenty of those. Like I said, I, I, I don't have to pay for HBO. That's but you a got, lot but, of bucks a month. But just because I watch one show on HBO or one or two shows, is it worth 11 bucks a month? I decide where I'm going to spend my money on frivolous things. And it's... But uh, I mean, you, you know, guys you guys don't have like, you don't, you don't ever eat out. Never, never eat a dinner or, or even a single meal out. Not, not frequently. You don't, no, you uh, don't travel. Yeah, we're not big travelers. Like you know, we, we choose, pick and choose where we're going to spend our money on on frivolous things, and 
so far. Your definition uh, of frivolous would be like, should we get a Christmas tree this year? No, frivolous things are things you don't need, but you just want because they're cool. And you can have a lot of those, but you can't have all of them unless you're... Give me an example of a frivolous thing that you would get. Well, perfect example is the iPhone. I want one because iPhones are cool. Who wouldn't want an iPhone? No, but that you actually do get. Oh, well... uh, you know, HBO is a good example. Yeah. I, I just get HBO because I want it. I, I probably can't justify the expense of 11 extra dollars a month, especially when shows aren't on the air. But I just get it because I originally got it because it was that free trial and I wanted to see the Pacific, that uh, World War II thing, yeah. which was not as good as Band of Brothers, but it was still okay. Um, and then I just kept getting it because I want to <laughs> see Game of Thrones and I watch Boardwalk Empire. I don't need to see those shows. I have plenty of other cable channels, but that's something that I said, you know what? I'm just going to keep HBO because I'm not going to order HBO and then cancel it and order and then cancel it. It's too much of a hassle. I'll just get HBO. Um, so that's an example of something frivolous that I probably don't need that I spend my money on. The okay. TiVos are also kind of that type of thing. I can get the DVR from the uh, cable company. That would be much cheaper than paying my TiVo bill and paying for a separate TiVo and doing all that stuff. But, you know... I don't know if you call that frivolous, but I don't like the the other. As much as I hate TiVo, I hate the cable company's DVRs even more. Um, so that's yeah. They're much, we've 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 clearly defined why they're much worse. Yeah. Well, there were but some other that, was, that type of thing. There were some other things though that uh, that we wanted to talk about on the show that were geeky but non non tech. Yeah. And uh, one of those things uh, that we mentioned we should talk about is is traveling. Other people wanted to hear about OCD. Other people wanted to hear about uh, there's one more thing on our list. Oh, RSI. RSI, RSI. RSI is the one I added. So let's do RSI because pe- we had a bunch of people who wanted to hear about that. Yeah. Um, so this actually ties into the whole why I'm paying for HBO and all that sort of things. Uh, I'll, I'll try to give my quick history, of, uh, personal history of RSI. So I had a computer since I was, you know, little. VIC-20 was my first computer, and I was less than 10 years old when that came out. Um, and, of course, I got the original Mac, um, and I was just on the computer all of my childhood. Well, I, let's, but, okay, stop right there. Can you recount for us your computer history? Not computers that you use, but ones that you actually owned, starting with the VIC-20, up well, to present, is, up to present day without skipping anything. Yeah, I didn't own the VIC-20 because, A, I was like what was I, seven or eight years old or whatever it was, and, and B, my parents didn't even know it. They rented it. They rented a VIC-20 for me because it was too expensive to buy a computer. So I had a rented VIC-20 that obviously we had to determine when the, when the rental period was up. Uh, and to get that, I had to take, like, quote-unquote computer courses where they teach you, like, how computers work, right. how to type, what a keyboard is and stuff like that. And we went right from the VIC-20, right from the rented VIC-20 to a Mac 128K. Oh, big upgrade. That's a big upgrade. And so that was just, you know seminal moment in my life as you can imagine wow um the 128 was upgraded to a plus apple used to sell official motherboard internal swap <laughs> upgrades where you you yank the, the guts out of the thing it's, just, it's you keep the 128 front panel but you yank out i don't know if you keep the crt but you yank out the motherboard the the, the analog panel the floppy drive the whole computer pretty much but you keep the front panel and maybe you keep the crt i don't remember if this year <laughs> still on that but yeah that was like getting a whole new computer and apparently that was cheaper than buying a mac plus uh, I think the upgrade was like a thousand something bucks, but a whole Mac, new Mac Plus was like twenty five hundred. I don't remember what it was. Went from Mac the the one twenty eight upgraded to the Mac Plus by adding a bunch of peripherals. I got a bunch of you know external floppy drives and all sorts of stuff, hard drives. All that spent a while on that one, and then when my sister went to college, I discovered the wonders of educational discount, mm. and somehow somehow managed to work this deal with my parents that they would buy me an SE thirty with the educational discount. 
And the SE30 with an Apple Extended Keyboard 2 with the educational discount, I think, was like $4,300. Oh, my gosh. they were. I had one, too. It was unbelievably expensive. Yeah, and, and that was that was with the discount um, and with with nothing fancy inside it. And I think, what year was that? Maybe, I don't know, whenever the SE30 was new. Um, that was probably the, like 87? No, no. 86? Later. later than that. Later was, than that? Yeah. All right, I'll I'll Google it while we while you talk. Eighty nine, I think. Um, okay. And I had that for a long time. I actually got a twenty four bit color card for that SE thirty, which most people didn't have, but I just wanted to have color and couldn't afford a, a Mac two, um, and, and a whole series of hard drives with that. And then I actually went off to college with that SE thirty and my external hard what drive. What year did you guess for the SE thirty? Uh, Eighty nine. Eighty nine. That's right. Eighty nine oh. to ninety one. Yeah, and so uh, I went to college in '93, uh, and ni- and I kept the SE30. SE30 was my computer for four years of college, with the color monitor, with all this other stuff. Um, during that time, my brother managed to get my parents. I think I helped with this to buy uh, one of the Centrus pizza boxes. I think it was a 6110 uh, or something like that. So it was a Power PC, which is a big leg up from what I had. Yeah, and I got to use that when I went home, but I wouldn't call that my computer. It was just my parents' computer. I did sort of take ownership of it. But eventually my brother moved it into his room. Um, let's see. After the, the SE30, I graduated college. I went to work on my first job. Um, and then I actually I moved down to Georgia so my wife could go to graduate school at Georgia Tech. And work gave me... Uh, what the heck was that? It was the uh, the rounded tower, the rounded quadra tower. i got to look that up now forget what it was but it was a t- it was the tower mac that was kind of uh smooth and rounded looking and i oh, forget yeah. what it was was that the I'm trying to think of what what uh 900 no that one's squared that was where they had the weird front sticking off the you remember that the front that had its own sort of square mounted on top of the front that looked like two pieces it, instead of one this was a tower that had like a big speaker looking thing on the top of it i wish i could remember well, it wasn't the 700 it, no, no, I think it was, it was not, the eight, it was not the was it the it wasn't the eight hundred or or it wasn't the eight hundred or any of those fancy ones. It was the cheap one. Um, but again, that wasn't really mine. Uh, maybe it was a six ten. I don't know. I'll look it up and put it in the show notes. All right. But I wouldn't count that as mine because I didn't own it. It belonged to the company. But I used it because it was a power PC, uh, and it had a color monitor and all this other stuff. And so, if you think about it, like. At this point, I still hadn't bought a computer. I had had gone through four years of college, graduated, gotten the job that was allowing me to telecommute, and they had given me a computer, and I still had not purchased one for myself. And I had used an SE30 until, you know, 1997, and then upgraded to this this cruddy uh, quadra tower just because work gave it to me. The first computer I actually bought for myself was a blue and white G3. Uh, And that was the top of the... That began my series of buying the most expensive towers I could possibly... This is another frivolous thing. Like, someone get a computer... How well, I just pick the top of the line. G3 400. 400 megahertz is as fast as they go. How much RAM can I stuff into it? How much hard drive space can I put into it? I'll get the Apple monitor because it matches with the little legs and everything. You remember that? Yep. Um, and then I went from that. I skipped over the G4, although my brother bought one of those for himself. I, I always can't count the computers that my family members bought as mine because I got to play with them. You know, when you uh, go home to visit and stuff like that. And because I was responsible for setting them up and stuff. Um, I think I went right from that to a, uh, a dual G5. The, what was the, the fastest dual G5? Was it Was it the wind tunnel one? 500? No, no. The, the, oh, that was the, a G4 wind. G, Did you ever G, have one of those those horrible wind tunnels? 
No, I know all about that. I stayed oh, away from the entire worst. G4. In fact, in fact, at work, I had my second job. I had a, a Quicksilver uh, G four. The Quicksilvers were great. Yeah, the wind tunnel. I think was came right that. after it. Oh, was it the mirror yeah, drive? It came. It came after it because the Quicksilvers were really nice. And was that the one that had the little speaker on the front with no no grill over yeah, it? The little glory hole thing. Yeah. yeah. The, the, I'm pretty sure that the the wind tunnel ones, and I had a wind tunnel, and it was miserable. And I did went through the whole fan replacement thing and third party fan replacement thing, and man, those things were a nightmare. What a dark! That was Apple's second dark time. Yeah, that was that was a bad time CPU wise. And the reason I was staying away, I had this this Bloom YG3 at home, and I was like, I'm not buying until they they figure out what they're doing. Like the big thing was the bus speed problem. They kept making slightly faster CPUs, although they were stuck at 500 megahertz for a long time. But the bus speed disparity between the CPU and and the, and the system bus was getting ridiculous. And I'm like, I'm not buying one of these things. They're just crazy, crippled, unbalanced, mutant things. Mm-hmm. And plus, I had the Quicksilver G4 at work. But so then when they came out with the G5, it was like, finally, a new CPU, a bus that doesn't suck, that's kind of, you know, mad. Yeah, the G5s are great. Enclosures are great. Yeah, the, the fans were really loud on that one. Yeah. And that was kind of a shame. But I bought the top-of-the-line dual G5. Uh, and I use that computer until I replace it with this Mac Pro, which is a second-generation Mac Pro uh, with the Xeon, uh, dual Xeon. This is actually the first Mac Pro that I bought that was not top of the top of the line because by the time I bought this Mac Pro, they had gone into the ones where like the top of the top of the line was with, I don't remember how many cores it was, but the, the price difference was like over a $1,000 price difference between the top of the line and the second one down. So this is the second one down uh, two generations ago in the Mac Pros. Sounds like you haven't had, had any portables. Uh, I don't count those. My, my wife has always had a portable. She had a, a aluminum uh, PowerBook G4 and replaced it with uh, a aluminum Mac Pro, the one right before the unibodies. Uh, See, this, I had a I had a real hard time with the portables before they made the the switch from PowerPC to Intel because what they would do, they would come out with a a design for the PowerBook. The design would come out, and it would be great. The first generation of them would be great. And then they'd do a speed bump on them. And then sometimes they'd do like a third speed bump before they'd redesign them. And that might be something that they wouldn't make a big deal out of. It would just, that would be the speed. And I had the misfortune of not once, but two different times buying that. And the problem is because of the the power PC issues they were having with the CPU, that they were trying to bump up these CPUs, but the chassis and the cooling and everything that had worked for the previous version of the CPU wasn't anywhere near good enough to cool and keep happy the faster CPU that they had shoehorned in there. So you would get all these things like overheating problems. And people will remember that, especially, I'm thinking it was the last or the second to last generation of PowerBooks before they came out with the MacBooks. Uh, These things would heat up like really, really bad. They would, like if you touched the top of the keyboard where the top row of the keys were, literally you could burn your fingers. Yeah, that that's a, that's still a hot spot on on current. It still uh, is, but the, it's the it's a nightmare back then. And the, and it, they were they would make a sizzling sound, literally like a sizzling sound. And I called Apple about, and they'd say oh, that's normal. Yeah, uh, I mean, really, that, that's why I haven't been a portable guy because yeah. portables are always are always compromised machines. And I bought them for my wife because that's what she wants. But uh, for me. I think the unibodies have really helped here, but yeah, they're much, the, bottom much line better. Is, the bottom line is that when you have a bunch of parts in that little skinny package and you try to make it sturdy, 
it's a cooling challenge. It's a structural integrity challenge, and they're portable. You're banging them around and everything. But these get, these unibodies, you don't have to worry about them. They're fine. I've been using yeah, this this MacBook for yeah. They, they they feel solid, and now they have CPUs that are much better. Like so, the switch to Intel really helped there. Um, that, that's why I stayed away from upgrading. You know, I bought the first top of the line dual G five G five just because it was such a huge leap over the G three, and they finally had a, a relatively balanced uh, system architecture. But those fans, man, they were noisy. There was a lot of them, and cooling was always an issue and they screwed up the power supply in the first generation g5 constantly making noise and everything and you know how much i hate noise yeah you do hate noise so let me do let me do a sponsor here the this episode is also brought to you by shopify.com the internet's most elegant customizable and affordable hosted e-commerce platform you can take advantage of shopify's awesome theme and application community to add beauty and depth to your site and you can if you want you can customize the storefront using your own HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. It's up to you. Or you can use their own themes. It's your choice. And for a limited time, if you sign up, you can get your first three months free using the discount code 5x5. The shop in minutes, business for life, John. Shopify.com. That's who we used for all of the, uh, the T-shirts and use them for a number of different things. They're great. So if you want to build a store, you're going to start selling mugs with your face on them or something, right, John? The, Syracuse, the angry Syracuse. You didn't write your own store? No, I use Shopify for everything. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, you feel like you should write your own e-commerce application not, in Ruby or something. Not with Shopify out there. All right. I use but them You did write your own CMS, though. Oh, I had to do that because of the stuff that we're doing, but but they're so good at selling stuff. Even little things, like if, if all you, you know, you want to sell stickers, use them. If you want to sell t-shirts, use them. They're doing everything in there. They also have stuff for uh, for doing electronics because for a while you, it was mainly for like actual storefronts where you're selling physical goods. But yeah. now there are plugins and things you can get to do electronic stuff. So anything you want to do, they'll, they'll, they'll do it. Tell them we send you five by five uh, coupon, three months free. I wish they would let me use that for my own stuff, but they won't. I wish I could download a T-shirt. I'm sending you a T-shirt to t- t- come in. Yeah, out. but I can't, down- I can't download it. Yeah. Phys- physical goods. You don't want to deal with that. Yeah. All right, so, so let's go over the... Why don't you travel? Well, oh, we, we never even do, did the RSI. RSI. We didn't do RSI. RSI. Right. Right. Let's, let's circle back. So yeah. history of computers is kind of boring, but the bottom line is that... When I was a kid, I was in front of that computer all the time. Um, but since it was a Mac, and like I grew up on a Mac, I was using the mouse a lot. Uh, I took all these typing classes because my parents made me take it. I took touch typing classes. I never learned to type correctly. Um, and I didn't really type that much because I was mostly using the mouse, using the mouse for games. Uh, I didn't have an internet connection for a long, long time. I think the first modem I got was 2,400 boards. That tells you I skipped over the 1,200 and 300 and everything like that. Right. Um, and I think I had AOL before I even had internet connection. Uh, so I was not typing. But once I went off to college and, you know, I had Ethernet connections to the internet and I went to college in 1993 and, you know, Netscape came out when I was at college um, and, and just I learned Unix when I was at college. And it was just a huge explosion in the amount of typing uh, mm. versus the mouse. And I was just on the computers constantly, like learning all those things happening at once. Like anyone who lived through the, the internet coming on the scene knows what a change in your behavior, especially if you're a computer nerd, you know. Yeah. I was using I thought I was using the computer a lot before the internet, and I was, but it's just it's just a ridiculous explosion. Just constantly on that computer, constantly on some computer in my dorm room, in in the in the lab. And having an Ethernet connection to the internet back in those days was just amazing. Like I'm so glad I was at a university that yeah, really. not at home over dial up or something. Because it just it just changed the experience entirely, you know. 
NCSA mosaic in, in uh, 16 grays on our X terms where all the images were doubled, were doubled left and right because of an X11 bug. And that was still just like so much faster than watching those images load in your web pages. You know, like I can remember the first time I, I loaded a uh, Netscape, you know, Netscape on, on, on Unix on X. And it, they showed an Escape demo page that showed five images arranged like the dots on, on the five side of, of a squared die. And I was like, oh, my God, there's, <laughs> there's two images next to each other and then one centered below it and then two more next to each other. <laughs> You'll never be able to convey exactly how important loading that one page was. <laughs> because previously it had been, you know, Mosaic. It's like scientific papers, a series of texts with links, you know. Once, once you could do images in arbitrary positions, just like it clicked in your head, and you're like, "I see what this is." You know, yeah. what the web is going to turn into immediately became apparent. With you know, Netscape. Uh, well, wasn't wasn't Netscape? And what the hell was it called then? Uh, so there was NCSA Mosaic. I guess I guess it was a branded Netscape product. Yeah, they had everything was a branded Netscape product. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Did they ever release a downloadable item called? Mozilla before the actual Mozilla Mozilla? I think the betas used to be called that. And I think that obviously yeah. the team was called that, but that's a good question. Yeah. But anyway, um, huge explosion in the amount of typing I did. Uh, and then when I graduated college and got a job, you know, and actually I moved down to Georgia and was telecommuting, I wake up in the morning, sit in front of the computer program all day, type, 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 typing to communicate with the people at work, typing email, typing IMs. And then when work was over, I'm type, type, typing away to people on the internet and IRC channels and, you know, an instant message and, and browsing the web and just huge amount of typing. And eventually sitting in a chair and typing or, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't even want to count how many hours a week I was doing it because it was certainly more than 40. Uh, it caught up with me. My, my keyboard was in, in the wrong position. It was way too high. I would type furiously the same way you, you know, you type with more gusto when you're typing into chat or IM or IRC. Or very, yeah. very passionate. Right. Passionate and, typing. Yeah. And just I woke up one day and just like could not move my fingers. Like it just felt agonizing pain, like spider webs had gone all up and down my hands and arms. And ben, this, this, not, came out of no, this came out of nowhere like the night before you were fine and the next no, day. The, this, this is the thing about it because if you say like, oh, did this come out of nowhere? I am absolutely sure it did not come out of nowhere. But like... I'd been doing this for so long, like my entire life, it never occurred to me to like heed the warning signs of my body. I'm sure if I had my brain in my body, then I would have felt all the warning signs leading up to this mm. and it didn't come out of nowhere. But when it creeps up on you like that and you're not thinking about it, you just, you just ignore it and you're in denial about it. Like mm -hmm. that I feel a little bit stiff. Maybe I should stop or whatever. You feel, you just feel invincible. You just feel like this is never going to be a problem for me until the day it is a problem. And I guarantee you there was tons and tons of warning signs leading up to that, and I just ignored them because I was young and dumb. Um, and that was serious. Like I had to take like a week off of work and saw doctors and did all this other stuff, and that began my long, long trial with uh, RSI. And even on top of the typing, what were my other hobbies? Like video games and stuff where you're holding a controller? It's a different action, but it's still hands, fingers, and thumbs furiously uh, actuating right. and sliding past each other, you know. So... I had a long, long recovery from that, and it basically changed my life and my priorities and how I do everything. I having kids changed too, but I now have to arrange all of my hobbies and life activities around the idea that I can't be doing stuff with my hands as much as I would naturally want to. So like, on, a, on, a, on a good day, do you, do you have problems with this still, or is it just you, you know now to avoid 
certain kinds of activities because they'll create a, a problem quickly. I'd call it a multi, many, many years recovery. And if you looked, if you graphed it, it would be like a, a slow, steady, with you know, uh, things getting better with some bumps in between. I basically mm. have to have to limit my activity. So if left to my own devices, I would play way more video games. I would be playing and finishing, clearing out completely video games like crazy because I love video games. I've had to not eliminate the video gaming hobby, but basically limit it to, all right, this year, what are the three games I'm actually going to play and finish? And I just pick, you know, my absolute favorite. Uh, right now, the next one in the queue is Last Guardian on, on PlayStation 3, which I really hope they come out with this year. But, like, I reserve that game, you know, in my time slot for 2011. I'm going to play that game and I'm going to finish it. And to do that, I'm going to have to manage my life around that, like, cut out as much typing as I can that's not work-related for the month or two that I play that game or whatever. I can't. I just can't do what I used to do, which was just whenever I want to do something that involves my hands, just do it. Um, and I had to prioritize, obviously, work comes first, right? So I have to save my hands and wrists for work, where I'm still sitting in front of a desk and programming, you know, at least 40 hours a week. I have to be able to at least do that. And luckily, through the management of all non-work-related activities outside of that, I can do that. Yeah. Um, I have speech recognition software that I use for most of my prose writing if I'm going to write for a long time. I'm very, very aware of the position of my keyboard and my hands and everything. I'm very aware of the pressure that I'm applying. If I'm typing furiously or whatever, I calm down and make smaller strokes. Uh, it's one of the reasons I ditched my Apple Extended Keyboard too, because I wanted a keyboard that required less pressure to press the keys down. Right, less, less distance of travel. And just less, less pressure, like how hard do you have to press. Uh, that's why I like the Apple's uh, aluminum keyboards, although it has some things that annoy me about it. The fact that the keys are very light to press is good for me. I, you can still press them furiously, and I'll find myself doing it and have to rein myself in. Um, but that's why I like the aluminum keyboard. And the laptop keyboards feel about the same. But, but yeah, RSI, to probably to a greater extent than anything except for my kids, has redefined you know, my entire life in terms of hobbies, activities, and what I'm doing from, from uh, time to time. Um, and kind of like motion sickness that we talked about briefly, Yeah. some people think they're, you know, they're, they can't get RSI or whatever. Everyone can get it eventually. Like if you, if you, they put you to work in a meatpacking plant and you had to debone animals, you know, for 40 hours a week, you would eventually get it because, you know, it's just something, repeatedly doing something with your body, the same exact motion, wears it out. So um, people in the, in the chat room are, are asking what keyboard you currently use and if you have any thoughts on the Dvorak keyboard. Yeah, I use the, the Apple Aluminum Extended Keyboard at home and at work. Um, Dvorak, I'm such a bad typer. Uh, like I said, I don't type the right way. I can type really fast, but it's kind of it's kind of like watching a pig dance. Right? You're just amazed that you can do it. I can, I can type really, really fast, but I cannot type as fast as someone who has similar hours behind the keyboard, but types the right way. I type the wrong way. Is it touch typing fingers. that you're doing, or is it... I don't have to look at the keyboard, but I'm not using the right fingers to hit the right keys. Hmm. And it, actually, it was many years before I realized I don't have to look at the keyboard. Like uh, I, I think maybe I was in college when I realized, you know what? I don't know why I'm looking down at the keyboard. My fingers just do the dance by themselves, right? And I'm all over the place. I'm using the left hand to hit keys on the right side of the keyboard, and just I'm just a mess. But, you know from habits uh, that have been drilled into my fingers for many years, I can type very quickly. Uh, Dvorak, see, I don't, I think it's probably more, it may be more efficient for people who learn it, who are already touch typists, who do things the right way, 
it wouldn't help me because I'm already not using the right fingers. I'm already being less efficient than I have to be. But I don't think my inability to touch type the correct way is why I got RSI. Because I get it from using the mouse, too. It's just sitting down in a chair for a long period of time is not good for your body. And sitting down and repeatedly moving your tendons is not good for your body either. And if you have a physiology that allows you to do it for X number of hours and you stay below that number of hours, you're fine. But I I went past my limit for whatever reason. uh, I'm, you know... I had serious problems with it, and I now have to know what my limits are and keep myself within them. A lot of people just always stay within the limits, and they say, oh, I, I can't get RSI. I'm invincible. I would just say that you're just lucky that your activities have kept you within your limits, but everyone has limits. Um, and I'm surprised at how many people actually have had problems with RSI. I feel like people don't talk about it as much. Uh, but if you're in this industry and you know a lot of programmers or know a lot of nerds or people who spend a lot of time in front of a computer typing – a surprising number of them have had problems with RSI and just really don't talk about it. Do you, do you ever wear the braces or did you have to wear the braces? So that's, that's the other thing I'm going to bring up on RSI. Like the, the medical side of this is tough because RSI is an umbrella term. It's repetitive strain injury. And it's not a diagnosis. It's not a thing that you have. It's not a disease. It's not a germ. It's just, it's, it's so vague as to be almost completely meaningless. It just means you've done some motion with your body repeatedly and has injured you. Injured what? What's injured? What's wrong? What motion did you do? What part of your body? And it's really difficult because the one RSI-related thing people know from the news, I guess, in the 90s is carpal tunnel syndrome. Right. Almost nobody has carpal tunnel syndrome. Carpal tunnel syndrome is a very specific thing that you could diagnose. I don't know the details of it because I don't have it. Um, and there are specific treatments for it and stuff. And so if you ever have any problem typing or any sort of pain, any part of your body, oh, you got the carpal tunnel. You don't. Almost certainly you don't have carpal tunnel syndrome. Certainly people who've never seen a doctor don't know if they have carpal tunnel syndrome. But they'll just say, oh, it hurts when I type. I got the carpal tunnel. Have you been to a doctor? Have you been diagnosed with carpal tunnel? No. I mean, I, I just looked it up before the show. I think it's something like 8% of all RSI cases are, are carpal tunnel syndrome. And I bet it's still overdiagnosed because people have heard of it. Um, but it's really tough to find a good doctor to figure out what the heck is wrong with you because most repetitive strain injury is not just one particular place. It covers, covers everything. It could be your back, your neck, uh, the, the, the nerves that travel through your body from your brain to your extremities being pinched at various places, the, the muscles, the tendons, the tendon sheaths. There are so many different kinds of, of uh, repetitive strain injury and so many different names for those particular conditions. And most people have multiple ones of them, so you don't have to just have one thing. Um, I linked in the show notes a link that a, a listener sent in from the, uh, the Hand Surgeons Association. Uh, I think it's an older thing. Basically, trying to uh, put out a public statement that says too many people are saying that they have ailments that they don't really have, and too many doctors are giving diagnosis based on nothing, right? So if you say you have you know, a specific condition, you know, inflammation of the tendon sheath on this part of your hand or whatever, are you just doing that because the patient says it hurts? there or did you actually measure yes this is inflamed and i can tell you know from from actual examination there's lots of voodoo around it because if you go into a doctor and say it hurts when i do x y and z they might give you a diagnosis yeah if the diagnosis says injury to xyz part of your body the doctor should confirm that there's an actual injury there and don't just rely on the symptoms because the symptoms are tough like the, the awareness people have in general of what's going on in their extremities it's much less than you might imagine. And I speak from experience because, like I said, I, I'm sure there was tons of warning, warning signs leading up to that. But once you have RSI, you become much more aware about how your body is feeling. You pay more attention to your body. Yeah, no, it's the same thing if you've ever had like a back injury or something, even if it's minor or if, if, you've, you know, if you've strained a muscle or something, you kind of become ultra aware of, man, it, 
I had this back problem because the way I was sitting or the way I was doing leaning or whatever. And, and you become intimate with the subtlety of your positioning when yeah, you're and, at and, work and how, and how you're, you're, you forget that, how easy it is to forget those things. And if you're doing something that even just starts to bother that part that you had an injury in, you'd be like, oh, stop doing that thing. Because even though it doesn't hurt now, even though it barely feels like anything, that feeling means that you're doing the bad thing to that part of your body. Yeah. So I'm hyper aware of that now on my arms, wrists, and shoulders, and neck, and everything. And I've gone through lots of different doctors, and it's just a pain with the healthcare system trying to get referrals. And they'll they'll refer you to physical therapy, but the physical therapy stops after a certain point because that injury only counts once, and you have to re-injure it and get a re-diagnosis that it's re-injured. Because it's like this type of thing is a chronic condition, and the only way it's going to go away is if I stopped using my hands and arms and typing, and that's not going to happen. So. It's kind of something you just have to live with and manage as best you can. Um, and it really is hard to find good doctors who understand the condition. Because your general practitioner, I mean, it's just hard to... There are a few experts in the field, and I, I linked some books in the show notes from some of the experts. It's good to read up on the books or whatever, but you do have to see a doctor, and you probably have to see a lot of them. Because they'll be like, well, take some ibuprofen, rest, don't type as much. I mean, it, it's a difficult condition. It's not a disease. It's not, it's not a germ that you can cure. It's something that happens from doing things. It's kind of like sports medicine. And in fact, I think some of the best doctors that deal with RSI deal with it more like a sports injury, where you acknowledge that the athlete is going to have to continue to play the game. So you don't say, oh, yeah, stop playing football. That knee will heal right up. You know, they, they have to do something to help the patient with the acknowledgement that, yeah, the person's going to have to continue to type. But how can they type more safely? Or how can they, you know, change their environment so they don't injure themselves as much? Or what exercises can they do to strengthen other parts of their bodies to compensate and it's really difficult to do because any kind of recovery is a long, long thing. And it's just something I constantly, uh, constantly deal with. It's constantly in my mind. So that's my RSI story. Yeah. But there's a lot of people listening who can sympathize with, uh, with a lot of that. Yeah. And, uh, and I, some people have much worse. I have some relatives who have conditions where like, if you injure yourself, like recovering is much more difficult. Like if you do serious nerve damage, hmm. uh, that doesn't come back as much if you, you know, at a certain point you just can't work anymore. Whereas right. uh, I think mine are more have to do with muscular skeletal and those things do tend to heal a little bit, but, uh, I don't know if we have time to talk about your, uh, travel phobias. I mean, it's been over an hour. We may have to save those. Maybe those could be, I don't know if those are whole topics. Maybe we can do those well, as like, this a, was, this was a dry week for all your, uh, other hosts who were in New Zealand living it up. Yeah. Helicopter rides. If you want to go longer, I can go a little bit longer. So, I mean, what do we have? Well, let's see. I mean, maybe we have time for. I guess well, let's let's do the travel one because you don't you don't travel, you don't go anywhere. I think I probably travel more than you, from what I've been able to gather. You probably uh, do. I when I I don't like to travel. I like to just move. <laughs> so yeah. I, I get to go. You know, maybe two or three places every thirty. You know, twenty thirty years. So why do you not travel? Well, first of all, there's there's the whole hassle of it. The 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 because what I'm not I'm not the kind of person who tries to create my entire comfort environment where I'm going. I know people like that, like they'll bring their own pillows and sheets and you know, they'll they'll, they'll bed bugs. Yeah. They'll it, yeah. They'll try to they'll try to recreate their home environment wherever they're going. You know, I don't do that. I actually can can travel fairly light. I can go on a on a week long trip and I when I used to um I used to work at a a startup in San Francisco but I still lived here in in Florida and that meant every couple months I would have to go and spend a week or so out there 
and you know there's only there's only one flight that goes that's a direct flight between Orlando and San Francisco and it's you know it's a very long 6 to 7 hour flight i think and it's a united flight and there's only one per day that does it's that filled, it's filled with disney world kids well any flight in and out of orlando is filled with disney world kids it's a guarantee and that 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 plays into another reason why i don't travel but as as you're so fond of saying that i'm getting ahead of myself here uh so you know i used to have to do that and learned how to pack very very efficiently i could have one carry on and that would be just fine for a week uh, being being somewhere else. So, uh, you know, that that's no problem for me. But there's uh, there's so much planning that goes that get, that's involved in that. So many little decisions that you need to make that are all really actually kind of important. And, you know, having having a kid, especially a young one in their first few years of life, you don't you know, I know people that take their kids with them wherever they go and and. The, my son does not travel that way. Uh, you know, he, there, there's so many, there's so many reasons why I, I don't. And, and the other thing is for me at the end of the day, uh, I've, I've done a lot of traveling. I mean, well, I don't know if I should say a lot. Let me take that back because relative, relatively speaking, when I think of somebody, you know, who's like a photographer, there's traveling all over the world all the time. No, I haven't done any traveling compared to them, but I've done, I've done traveling. I mean, I've, I've, uh, I've, been to many many of uh, the the states here in the United States. I've been to South Korea. I've uh, been to Canada. I've been you know been all around. And and uh, it's it's not like I'm travel phobic, and it's not like I won't go anywhere. But on all of those trips, as much as I was able to really enjoy them and immerse myself in them, um, you know, at, at, at the end of the day, it, it they were great. I had fun. I enjoyed the experience. I wouldn't trade it. But I, I don't have a, the yearning that so many people feel. And I'll, I'll, even, I'll even freak some people out here and say, d- sometimes days go by where I don't, I don't leave the house. Days go by where but I don't see, leave the house. You made a comment before that, I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but it sounded, it reminded me of one of the main reasons that I don't travel. You mentioned that when you go anywhere, uh, there's all these decisions you have to make about dealing with the travel arrangements and plans and stuff like that. That's such a hassle. And that's one of the main reasons that I don't travel because uh, I am, and perhaps you are as well, the type of person who wants, uh, not so much a planner, but wants to know how things are going to be. So there are some people who say that their dream is to just take a plane, a one-way flight to a country they've never been before where they don't speak the language, no money in their pocket and get off the plane. And that's, that's what they like. That's an adventure for them. Um, they want to just be in that environment and just not know what they're going to do, not know where, where they're going to stay, not know how they're going to make money, not know anything about any plans and just go. And that's the type of personality that loves that type of adventure. I am the exact opposite of that type of yeah. personality. And it, you know what? It's, it's nice to be rational and, and acknowledging of that. This is what I'm comfortable with. This is what I like. Yeah, yeah. But and, here's the thing. For people who do that, for people who like to travel and, and go places constantly and be in a different place every week or whatever, they think of me you know, like contentedly here in my house you know like working really hard on doing these shows and and uh and being with my wife and my kid and you know the fact that like i didn't go somewhere for two straight days that is like how could you possibly how do you not go stir crazy you know yeah, and people people have trouble envisioning 
things that other people like. Like yeah. some people who are like us might think that that person who wants to just travel and just not know what they're, you know, just to be surprised and spontaneous, that, that that's, you know, because we would be miserable doing that. We can't imagine how they would like it. But in, in some respects, there's a societal aspect of this in that you see that a lot in society held up as the ideal. Right. You know, be daring, go, go to Europe with no plan. And just, you know, that's, <laughs> that's held up as the ideal versus what what we like to do is held up as though there's something wrong with you, right? right. And, and in many respects, there are. Like the bottom line is that there are certain things that that give us or give me at least discomfort. And one of them is not knowing what's going to happen and not having plans and stuff like that. And that can go all the way up to the crazy medical uh, mental conditions and phobias and stuff. I don't think I take it that far, but no. uh, a, a lot of programmers, in particular, and computer guys, have a low grade version of that where it just gives you mild discomfort to not know what the plans are. Even as easy as you know, like making plans for like going to dinner somewhere that's that's why east coast people don't go along with west coast people we make plans all right i'll see you there at a right. particular time we're going to go to this restaurant and you get there and they don't show up yeah and, and a certain type of person that drives them crazy another type of people are like so what you know i was there an hour late we'll go to a different restaurant right. or i'll call you on my phone like no there's the the type a east coast personality that does not like that and there's the west coast personality that doesn't like being told that that's bad right no and and so to, I'm, just I'm to further people in the chat room are saying I do leave – when I say I don't leave the house, I mean I, I'm not getting in a car and, and driving somewhere and doing something. I'm not saying I don't go out to get fresh air or go on a walk or I exercise. I'm not, that's not what I mean. I mean – although there, although certainly there have been times where I haven't done that. It's called winter in New England. Right. I was going to say – there's you can do outside. <laughs> yeah. But but I, I'm, I'm not saying that and there's no agoraphobia here. I have no problem going out and, and doing things. It just – it's it's not – at least for me right now, especially with family and things like that, it's not that big of a, of a priority. And there was certainly a time when, you know, when, because I've spent, people have to know, I've spent years where I was out of the house for, you know, but 18 plus hours a day, whether it was working or, or doing other things. So, I mean, there's been long periods in my life where it wasn't uh, quite as, uh, but the whole thing about it, the whole thing, now, are you flying, do you have a problem with flying? So that's, uh, we already did motion sickness last show. So that's another factor is like, you know, when it comes time to travel, because I do travel, I, I take at least one or two plane flights a year because I go to see my in-laws uh, out of state and my parents live out of state. And so I, we take planes there. We take planes with the kids and that's a hassle and everything. And that's not a planning thing because, you know, you know where you're going to stay. You're going to stay with your, your in-laws. Uh, you know pretty much what's going to happen. Yeah. But the motion sickness is a problem because if we're on a pumpy, bumpy plane, plane flight, I've got a problem. Yeah. Um, I have to have a window seat because the, the easiest way to combat motion sickness is to try to make the signals in your inner ear match what your eyes see. That's basically the, uh, my understanding is that's the physiological origin of motion sickness is that if your eye, if your inner ear feels something, but your eyes don't match that, yeah. uh, it makes your brain think that you've just eaten something poisonous and you have to puke back up. Uh, that's the uh, evolutionary, the, the, <laughs> Interesting. the pop psychology evolutionary explanation. Of that. But, but whatever the, whatever the thing is that actually works, if you try to look at something and have it move, it helps a lot. So, I have to sit at the window seat, can't read in a plane, can't watch television in a plane, can't watch the movie in a plane, can't read in a car, can't watch TV in a so car. So you just, just, just got to sit there and... I got to sit there and stare out the window <laughs> at the horizon <laughs> and hope that there is a horizon. Jeez. And it's, it's, so that makes travel boring, as you can imagine. You listen to podcasts, that's about it. Uh, plus, try, doing, try staring out the window to keep yourself from being motion sick while wrangling kids on a plane. Yeah. Not fun. Um, and also, I have a irrational fear of flying, which is not good. Um, now, my brain is like 99.9% rational, I feel like. But that irrational fear of flying is in there. And the rational part beats it down like crazy. And I don't have a problem. I get on planes. I don't have panic attacks. I don't hyperventilate. But I just don't like it. But it's just and there's a lot of tension and anxiety around it. 
it, not even like if I, I think I have less ten, I have more tension thinking about flying than actually flying because when I'm on the flight, I'm mostly dealing with trying to deal with the kids in motion sickness. Those are the more pressing concerns. But right. it's if you're a control freak like I am, as we previously established, when you get on that plane, there's nothing you can do to influence your safety. The plane's going to go down. It's going to go down, and nothing you can do about it at all. Um, and even though driving in a car is so much more dangerous, and I, I do have you know fears about mostly my family getting into car accidents and stuff, simply because it is like the most likely place you're going to you know get injured or killed. Uh, and an accident is in a car because we're constantly driving around. Cars are way more dangerous. But when I'm driving, at least I have some influence. Just a little bit. Not a lot. I can still get you know, T-boned by a, by a giant truck. And then you can do about that. But at least I have some influence. But I'm not flying that plane. And that complete lack of control bothers me way out of proportion. Right. Complete, complete trust in a stranger. It's not even the stranger. It's just no. like that you have zero control. I, I don't even put another person. Because the pilot doesn't even have control. Like, and when planes go down, everyone tends to die. Uh, you know, landing in the Hudson aside, but I think way more than I should. <laughs> yeah. I think way more than I should about dying in plane crashes because the odds are it's never going to happen to me. I fly once or twice a year. I'm going to if I'm going to die, it's going to be in a car crash. But it just it bothers flying bothers me immensely, and and it doesn't help that I I know a lot about aviation and flying and constantly watch uh, you know documentaries about plane crashes. Oh, it's, you it's don't like, do that to yourself, it's like, do you? It's like medical. I watch documentaries on everything, but it's it's like a medical student's disease where once you know about all the things that can go wrong in the human body, you just start thinking about them everywhere. Where you know, once you learn how it works in your first year or two of medical school, you think you have everything. So I'm just constantly thinking about the the lowest bidder that put the wiring into the plane to the television. It's going to catch on fire, and no one's going to notice because the ventilation system is going to make the smoke be pulled. You know, <laughs> planes and aviation, especially since there's a government agency involved. I have very little faith in the the you know reliability of those things and i just don't feel like they're done to the best the best they could possibly be and the same is true of cars but yeah cars don't fall out of the sky again i completely acknowledge this is an irrational fear yeah rationally cars are much more dangerous rationally i'm not going to die in a plane crash you and, know what's and- scary is is, is in, in the plane crash john it's not just the the crashing part rather not just the, the, that but have you ever heard of something called a fume event where the plane drops like thousands no feet no seconds. where well that too but then no they, they have this thing where certain planes uh, the, the for some reason the way the exhaust and the wing and the air intake for bringing the fresh air in from outside it can also sometimes bring in some kind of off gassing of fuel or or something and it just so happens that this fuel or whatever the other fluids or things that are that are going on with the plane happen to be like a uh, very very toxic almost like a nerve agent and that this happens uh, and that people on the plane will be exposed to this sometimes without even awareness that they are being exposed to it because it may not it may be odorless for example and uh, and they get off the plane and usually shortly after getting off the plane they feel you know sick and they can have major major significant life altering neurological damage from this and uh, and this is something that's acknowledged by the industry, and it, because of the design of so many of the planes that are in service, there's nothing that they can do about it. And uh, and you know, you hear people from from stewardesses. Uh, that's not what you're supposed to call them, flight attendants. Sorry. And uh, you hear flight attendants complaining about this. You hear people who are passengers who find out about this and complain about it. And in some cases they do get better. In other cases they don't get better. So you don't even just have to worry about dying on a plane. What about, what about when they do drop, you know, a, a, a 10, 15,000 feet at one time and uh, problems with plane pressurization that create permanent damage to your inner ear. So many things that can go wrong. And the thing is they say, oh, well, this only, this maybe only happens at one out of every thousand flights. 
Well, how many flights happen in a single day? That's actually yeah. a pretty high number. It, the, the thing is, it's just... A lot it's of safe. stuff. Planes lot are as safe as they are because they're better regulated than cars and because professionals fly planes, whereas every schmo drives a car. I mean, there's reasons why planes are so much safer. And, you know, the standards for servicing planes is much more strict than the standard for servicing cars, all that stuff. But the bottom line is that flying at hundreds of miles an hour is an inherently more dangerous thing than trundling along in your car at 30 miles an hour in your neighborhood, simply because when something does go wrong, it can be so much more catastrophic. Listen, um, I just want to say now, John, if you're listening to this and, and you're thinking to yourself, these we need to send John and Dan some statistics about survivability of car crashes versus plane crashes or planes really. I'm a pilot, and I want to let you know that these things don't – Please don't send us. Don't yeah. send us email. We acknowledge about this. all the statistics. We acknowledge that's why we're talking about irrational, irrational fears. fears right? Okay, fear that that is has no foundation in the facts. And don't email us about this. Even if so, you know what, even if you agree with us a hundred percent, rate the show highly on iTunes if you want. <laughs> but don't you know we get poor John was inundated last week with email. I I was too. But uh, so we understand this is just irrational stuff. And that's that's why people that's what the origin of the irrational fears is because the the failure scenarios are so much more spectacular in yeah. terms of like you know a plane crash versus you know you run into a barrier at fifty miles an hour and you're dead um, and that's boring because that's just that just ties up traffic on your way home from work whereas a plane crash it's dramatic so that's why your brain assigns this you know greater danger a lot of proportion to the actual chances of death because it's so it's so much more dramatic both in yeah. your mind and and in reality and in Hollywood and everything like that uh, I would actually say that my Fear of car cra- of dying in a car crash. Uh, well, all these fears, planes and car crashes and everything like that. It's not so much that I'm afraid I'm going to die because I feel like I'm okay with that. It's once you have a family, man. That's the problem. And your whole family gets on the plane with you, or God yeah. forbid, your family flies without you. Oh, that's no, when no. the irrational fear monster comes in there. But like, you know, I, I'm okay with me dying, but I don't want my kids to die. Well, yeah, and I, the, and the other thing is, you say, well, I am okay with me dying because you know, but then at the same time, you're like, wow, man, my, and you're leaving your kids, you're leaving behind your kids, you know, it's just, yeah, the, becoming a parent screws with your your ability <laughs> really to, uh, to to be. But uh, you gotta live. You don't want you know. You don't want. Yeah. You, so so like I said, I, every year go out. Every year I, fl- I have you know I fly. I go on uh, to visit my in laws all the time. Uh, I don't. I'm going to a wedding this summer uh, that's in Buffalo, which I could th- in theory drive to. I'm going to fly because I don't want to drive for 20 hours. I'm no. choosing to take a one hour plane flight instead of driving for 10 or 15 hours because who wants to drive for 10 or 15 hours? Does that not uh, mean that I won't be you know? Nervous about taking a plane? I'm sure I will, especially since it's just going to be my wife and I, and we're leaving our kids behind. So if we both, oh boy, plane goes down, they're they're orphans. But it's not <laughs> it's not affecting my life in a way that I'm going to say, no, we're driving 20 hours to Buffalo. Right. No, in, a, in other plane, words, this you know? this might this might affect your discretionary trips, but this is not going to keep you from living your life. It's not yeah, going to keep you from... discretionary. Like, I'm not going to drive to like we were thinking of taking a vacation to Prince Edward Island at some point. I really don't want to drive. To, well, you know, rationally, the, my rational brain comes in pretty quickly and says, look, your, your odds of dying on that car trip are way higher than your odds of dying in the plane. Do you really want to be in a car for 20 hours? No, take yeah. the plane. See, I, I, I love, I, as dangerous as it is, I don't, I don't mind a long car. See, that's the other thing about traveling is, like, I enjoy the, the trip. I actually do enjoy, I'm not talking about sitting in traffic in the pouring rain, you know, with tornado warnings, which is normal for Florida, but... I actually don't mind like a road trip, like long drives and things like that. I don't mind that at all. I can, I can, I, I can get very interested. In that. I, I don't mind that. But I'll tell, I'll tell you what. You mentioned the Disney World thing. This is another big part of it. People who think, oh man, you know, I really hate flying in and out of 
you know, insert local airport here. It's it's never as bad. And this is I've flown in and out of many airports and and many of the big ones, whether it's LaGuardia, JFK, Logan, your your favorite. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you know, I've been to to Phoenix, I've been to multiple other countries and out of their airports. The Orlando International Airport, MCO, is one of the nicest airports I've ever flown in and out of. It's 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 immaculate. It's huge, huge. You've got to take the these monorail things just to get to the different. It's you know different spokes of the airport. Very well planned, very well thought out. Not very confusing. Great restaurants in it, coffee shops. I mean, it's it, hotels inside of it. It it really is designed to and does do a very very good job of handling the insane amount of people who come to Orlando as a tourist destination to see the mouse and. It's the people, though. There, you think of you think of it when your average person, your average person, maybe goes on one or two two flights a year. Maybe, you know, all of us geeks, we're always going to conferences and things like that. But the regular people who just go and punch their time clocks and do you know go to their regular jobs, they may only fly once every five years sometimes. But even especially if, like, if their family is in state, exactly. Right? All if your family is all in state and you work at a, at a local job when are you going to go travel somewhere on a trade show maybe you and and your your spouse go on a beach vacation once every few years if you have kids where do you go disney you go to disney world that's where all these people go and it's international in that sense because mco is an international airport so you have people from all 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 over who and this is the thing when you get in, into traveling like when i was doing these long flights back to san francisco and and other things that, you know, jobs that required meetings and things, you get into the whole travel thing. You know, okay, I got to get my boarding pass and, you know, here's, you know, I'm going to print the thing out. I'm going to have it with me. And, you know, I'm going to have it right here out in front with my, you know, the, the everything that I need. I'm going to have my ID. My shoes are already off. You know, you, you know how the whole thing goes. Your laptop's out. It's in the thing by itself. You know, it, it becomes just, it's old hat. It's a procedure. You just do these things. You get through the line. There isn't... The people who are traveling in and out of Orlando are the people who they fit into the following categories. Business people like you who just want to get in and out. They're going where they're going. That's that that's like two two to five percent of the people. The other ninety to ninety-five percent of the people fit into the following categories, and that's either this is the first time that they've ever been on a plane, ever gone anywhere, and it's Disney. Or they fly sometimes. But they're on vacation with their whole family this time, and they're all going to Disney. And, and that's like the 90 to 95% of the people that come in and out of this MCO. So unlike, unlike many of the business airports that you go to where most people are just sort of like weary travelers, this, you've got the weary travelers, but you've also got people who are international, who have never flown before, who are with their entire families, and it, it, it is a nightmare to get in and out of this MCO in a best case scenario. And, you know, it, it, it is just them and every single flight in and out of MCO. It doesn't matter what airline, because I've flown most of them. It doesn't matter your destination. Cause I've flown everywhere from, you know, New York to Boston, to San Francisco, to South Korea. It doesn't matter. Every flight is full. Every flight is oversold. And every flight is mostly full of people who have never traveled before and who are kids. Now, I have a kid now, and I really – kids don't bug me the way they used to before I had kids. If, I, if you heard like a kid screaming on an airplane, like a baby crying, 
I would use to drive me nuts five years ago. Now I don't even hear it. I'm like, this just feels like home. I don't care. Still drives me nuts. It doesn't bug me at all. It's amazing what doesn't bug me anymore. But I, I have sympathy, but it still bugs me. Yeah, but it, I see, but I, it doesn't bug me. Those kind of things don't bug me. What bugs me is, it, is that people show up completely unprepared because people like you and me, we know we've got that trip. Two weeks ahead of time, we start planning for it. We might not start packing that night. But in the back of our mind, two weeks, uh, cool, two weeks, I got that, that trip, I got that flight, so what am I going to need? Well, and then the planning begins. You may not, do, you may not stress out, it just you, the planning begins. Yeah. I think non-planners, even when you have kids, you say, well, once you have kids, you learn, you have to have a system, right? Because with yourself, you can just wing it, but when you have kids, you have to have a system. But if you're a non-planner, that's the problem. The non-planners show up and they don't think about, how am I going to transport my child from the, the car to the ticket counter? How am I going to yeah. transport from the ticket counter to security? How am I going to transfer from security to the gate? Am I going to bring a stroller? If so, where is that stroller going? Am I gate checking it? Does it does it yep. collapse? Does it fit through security? How many bags can we possibly carry? And then you see the people who have like 800 bags strapped to their back yep. or like, oh, when I going to get in the plane? Am I going to use a car seat for my infant or am I going to hold them on my lap? If I hold them on my lap, how am I supposed to, you know, you have to, planners have to have a system. Right. And I've traveled with infants and kids in, in multiples. I've, I've traveled with Traveling with car seats on airplanes is just so miserable. Yeah, it's horrible. Had that, that car seat strapped to my back, and you're just trying to, you want to be able to get early boarding so you don't have to like stop the line. Trying to bring a car seat through security, put it on the plane, get it strapped into those stupid seat belts, all while people are backing up behind you because, you know, ugh, it's, it's a nightmare. It and is. I've done it a lot, and well, that, I think I have a just, reasonably good system, but it's just tough. And if you don't plan, forget it. You've forget just it. described most of the people who are traveling in and out of MCO. And again, it doesn't matter what your destination is because people in Phoenix are just as interested in going to Disney World as you know people from Wisconsin. They're just as interested, and there's just as many of them. So you know, I, I would hear reports of my friends saying, oh, you know, I got lucky on the flight back. I had the whole road to myself. I, yeah. I've never had a road to myself, you know? See, once you have kids, though, even if you're not in Orlando, I, I can't remember being on a plane that wasn't full because once you have kids, you have to go to the kid according places. to the kid's schedule, yeah. according to the kid's schedule. And once you're traveling, like you're traveling uh. on Christmas vacation or on winter break or, you know, during the summer and stuff like that, it's when everyone else with kids is traveling. You get you end up on the same schedule as them. You can't. You're not going on a Wednesday yeah. in the middle of a, of the school week because your kids have to go to school. So, and also Logan is a miserable airport. I'm I'm sure it's these flights are not as bad as Orlando, but the actual airport is miserable. And the with the airlines the way they are financially, they pack those planes as much as they can. So Logan's a dinky airport, and I like all Logan. Planes are packed. I you like, like Logan? Logan? Yeah. Logan, I, it's a guaranteed like one hour wait for your luggage. You come off a plane, no matter what time it is, no matter who else is in the airport, you come down to that luggage counter with the two kids in tow, you know, maybe with everything else, and you just wait there for an hour. Tell you why so, I like Logan. No BS. I don't know about the BS. No I, BS. I, you get, they, they want you out of there as much as you want to be out of there. If they did, they would give me my luggage. <laughs> I can't, like the plane has gone already. The plane is taken off. I just, it drives me nuts because I, you just know, like, I know how long it is from the plane to the place where you put the luggage on the little conveyor belt, dude. I can go out there and do it myself if you tell me how to open the cargo bay door. Get the luggage onto there. When you you're traveling by yourself, do you check luggage? I never travel by myself, but if I if I do, I would not I would not check anything. Yeah, I can fit everything I need for seven days in one carry on, including my laptop. Guys can do that because we we can live like pigs. <laughs> I don't know, my my wife is pretty good. She usually gets into the one. You know, carry most on. hotels have laundry service. Yeah, and uh, although my wife does it, her carry on has the the density of lead. 
So, so she gets it at the one carry on, but it's quite a dense one. Yeah, I can't but, bring anything back with me. That's the only problem. Someone gives what? you something like a book. Here, take this book. I'm like, no. Yeah, it, it doesn't fit. Yeah, <laughs> I can't one, one fit anything. On, on airport stuff, I haven't traveled since they started doing the backscatter thing. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. My next trip is, I don't know what my next trip. I guess it's going to be that wedding. But the backscatter thing drives me nuts, um, mostly because they're, they're taking a device that emits radiation that no one has certified for safety in any possible way except for in hand-waving, and they're trying to mandate that people go through it. And so my choice is now, when traveling with myself, I'll say, fine, give me the pat-down. I don't care. Freaking molest me. I'm not getting unnecessary radiation. Exactly. Um, and even it's, you know, it's ridiculous, and even though they'll say you get more radiation when you're on the plane, I don't care if you actually got more radiation when you're on the plane, which is not really No, that's not really true. But even if it was, I wouldn't care. What Does that mean it's okay for me to have additional radiation? I'm trying to minimize my <laughs> right, radiation. Right, I'm getting enough from so, the oh, plane. Oh, you get more on the plane, so just doubling it is fine. <laughs> right. No, it's not fine. Like, you know, why would I voluntarily, you know, expose myself to radiation if I can't? You know, so for me, getting felt up is fine. But now I got my kids. I don't want my kids to go through the radiation, and you don't want so them to I'm get felt, felt up either up by some by some you know random person. And it, this is actually a problem because. It, it, my opinion is I would rather have them be felt up. I would give them a big talk ahead of time and explain what it is and so blah, 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 because I feel like I can repair the potential emotional damage, which I don't think they would have. But, you know, it, potentially I can help repair that. I can't repair their cell walls from yeah. the radiation they're getting from this, you know, absorbed into their skin from this stupid backscatter device, you know, and who knows if these things are going to be on the fritz and giving you too much dose. It's just, it's all security theater. It doesn't increase safety and once they start doing something that's actively harmful and doesn't just delay me, because I'll wait in the long security line. Fine, whatever. You know, do whatever you think you have to do, even though it's ridiculous. But once you start saying, yeah, you have to get radiation, no, I'm not having any of that. So we'll see how it goes. I, I know they usually have one line where you just have to go through the metal detector, um, and I'll take that if I can. But yeah. if I can't, uh, you know, that, that bothers me immensely. So we talked, we talked now for 95 minutes. Yeah, well, I got. I'm gonna make up for lost time. No, no it's Mark good. Not here, Gruber didn't even do his uh, his show from New Zealand. No, which, by the way, I could have predicted that they're busy when they're there. You know, you yeah. Well, that's the thing. And I told I it's people to hang out with. They were telling me they're like, yeah, we'll do one. I said, you know, okay, but I wasn't I wasn't expecting it because they're on. You know, it's like a vacation. It's a big trip. Exactly. You don't want to take just, away from that. Sit in a room with a microphone and. And there's so many people there. Like I've seen like the Flickr pictures and stuff. Like everybody is there. Why yeah. would you not want to hang out with those guys and do uh, do a podcast? Yeah, no, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go back to my hotel room in the middle of the night and do a podcast with Dan. Come on, come on. But no, I'll, I'll try to pick up the slack for you. I appreciate it. Well, if you had really wanted to help, you could have done. You know, we could have done three shows this week. Well, you know, if you want to do them at 8 p.m., I'm game. But you know, yeah. schedules conflict. Speaking of 8 p.m., at, uh, tonight at 9, I think your favorite show comes on. What, Fringe? Yeah. I don't see. I have no idea when shows come on. I think we already established this. I just know because you're such a Fringe fan that that must have been what it is. But I know the shows are there when they show up on my TiVo. And I really don't know what channel things are on or what day they're on or anything like that. That's a nice Except, thing about technology. Yeah. It does some they, of the work for you. Yeah. I usually watch Fringe Night of, though. Once I see it starts to record, I'm like, ooh, it's Fringe Night. Yeah. Well, that's tonight, 9. I I let the commercial skew up for half an hour and then uh, And then you can blaze through. Yeah. Any other sci-fi I should know about? Sci-fi television shows? It's it's grim out there, man. Like, I'm not as big of a Fringe fan as you are, but it's still the best sci-fi show. Well, the only reason I'm a Fringe fan, besides the fact that the uh, the actress is uh, so good. 
Besides that fact, it's the only show that I know of that's even remotely sci-fi that I can care about. I don't, like, that, uh, I don't like watching a show when I feel like I'm the only person in the world who is watching it either. Yeah, there's No Ordinary Family, which is a horrible show, but you could technically call it sci-fi. Uh, but there's something coming out that has Spielberg's name somewhere attached to it that's some sort of like aliens thing. I think it's coming in the fall. Oh, well, you know, what I remember I that, yeah. Well, that's the problem with also not being not seeing ads. Like, I only hear about these on the internet. I'm sure they've been advertising whatever the series is like crazy on whatever network it's going to be on, but I don't see it. So, on the internet, I saw someone saying there was a television show coming out. I forget what they were saying it was like. Not like Heroes. It was some, you know, it was, there's always a pitch for the show like Jaws, you know, like Jaws right. with um, I don't remember what uh, what the pitch for this one was, but it was some other show that you've heard of mixed with some other thing. Uh, what was that other show that came out that had uh, what it came out not that long ago? The event. Yep, the event. I watched that. Did not like that. Oh, it wasn't a good show. I don't. Is it canceled? I don't know if they're. I, they might still be bringing it back. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, I I don't even know if these shows are canceled, but no, I watched it. I'm so desperate. I watch it. It's just <laughs> I watched all flash forward. Not a good show. Yeah, I never watched that. I've I've stopped watching No Ordinary Family. That's how bad it is, and it takes a lot for me to stop watching a sci-fi show. So nothing uh, to recommend that for the listeners or for me. No, not not in sci-fi. Right. And really, it's we're pretty much on break for shows at this point. Terrible. Things are just things are just well, starting no, to come. Well, no, the new Survivor just started. Huh? Yeah, I, I didn't even know the new Survivor started, and uh, until a day after it had aired, because I already got caught up. Like, looks oh, good. Yeah, this one looks really good. This is a good, good for best first episode of Survivor I've seen in the years. I give my quick Survivor pitch that I've been. You know, I've watched Survivor since season one. Um, it's a silly show. I'm not holding it up as great television. It's very but silly. Opened, it's absurd. What I love it though. What I've always wanted them to do is Survivor cold. And now I know that's bad. You got to have people in bathing suits. You got to go somewhere warm because if people are not scantily clad, it takes away from the show. But those people would be so much more miserable if they were cold. Like when it rains and they're cold, they're really miserable. So yeah. they should do a whole Survivor. Eventually, they'll run out of ideas, right? <laughs> and when they run out of ideas, they come to me and say, "Yes, do Survivor in some place where it's cold." I guess people will die of frostbite and lose their extremities and stuff. So it's kind of they can't really do that. But and that the worst that could happen on a tropical island is you would think is a sunburn. Well, they get lots of injuries and infections and stuff on the tropical island too. I think right, but you're not you're not going to die from exposure on a tropical island. Your nose isn't your nose isn't going to fall off. And like I guess they have medical staff and they'd be careful. But cold just makes you miserable. You know what else would be interesting? I think they should do that's it. I I hear is as miserable as cold. Altitude. (laughs) Well, yeah, I've heard that. Like altitude sickness is that got. What's the highest you've ever been when you did travel? I visit my parents in Denver all the time. So yeah, so Denver's right pretty there. high. You know, it's a little higher than that where I've been at Telluride. Yeah, I've gone up to on the mountains, like at Loveland Pass, I think. Which is it's a, hard to walk around when you're Denver. not used to it, isn't it? I because we so went up. Here's here's what sickness. we did. They went. We went to this Telluride, which is a, I think a, a, what what how many feet above sea level is uh, is Denver. 5,000? 5,000. Okay. Mile high, right? No, it's, is it? That's Mile High City. All right. So Telluride's like another 1,000 feet. And then the, you go on these trips in Telluride where they put you into this Jeep, and then they drive you up, like literally just up the side of the mountain up on a little a little dirt thing, and you drive for like 30, 45 minutes. And then you're another, you know, couple thousand feet up. And you're fine if you're just sort of standing there walking around, but there's all these cool like, like, 
not caves, but like caverny things and all these cool things to like walk around and like you think you're going to hike and you hike for like 10 minutes and you're like exhausted because it's, you're up so high. There's no air up there. And the guides just laugh at you and all, all the people like us who are at sea level the rest of their time. Cause I'm at sea level here. Uh, I think it's you, something you definitely acclimate to pretty quickly. Like, like I just time. looked up uh, Loveland Pass, which is a a road that goes through the mountains. Loveland Pass is eleven thousand feet, and and like I said, I'm so I get motion sick so much that I hate being nauseous. I'm so glad I don't get altitude sickness because I've been at every possible altitude and I've done physical activity. And I'm not gonna say I haven't felt tired or any more tired, but a lot of it might just be mental suggestion that like you're supposed to feel tired more tired than you're supposed to, but. Have you tried? Try did you try hiking at altitude? Though? Yeah, we did some walks and mm-hmm. stuff. Like it's not. I guess I haven't done enough strenuous, strenuous activity. It's tough to say, but I guess I haven't had a problem with altitude. I'm glad I don't. I don't because the symptoms of it are just horrible, like yeah. headaches and nausea. That's just yeah, and and it's like kind of like being at sea, and there's nothing you could do about it. Like oh, I was surprised. I thought I, ground, I thought I was going to be impervious to this because at the at the time when I was there, I mean, I wasn't. I w- wouldn't go so far as to say I was in training, but I mean, I was. I was jogging 5k like three or four times a week. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to be up there. It's going to be no problem, but it gets yeah. to you. It gets to you. So someone in the chat room said that falling skies is the name of the Spielberg attached thing coming okay. this June. They say it's got Noah Wiley face staring at me. Um, some sort of alien related thing. Is he an alien? Cause I would watch that. I don't know. I know very little about this show. The, the only sci-fi thing that I'm actually excited about is uh super eight, which is the JJ Abrams. Uh, yeah movie with i think spielberg attached that more too. more shaky cam stuff because we can't get enough of that i love cloverfield i love jj abrams that's part of the reason why i watch fringe just because he's attached wait so it. you get motion sickness but you could watch cloverfield motion sickness from movies see like, i could i don't me, like, i don't like ever Blair get which was was pretty much my limit but with television <laughs> you can always pause it and look away and like you have an out um even in a movie theater, you can just close your eyes if you start to get motion sick. I do get motion sick from the shaky cam, but I can manage it. Mm. Um, and Cloverfield, I did not see in the theater. I saw it at home, and I watch it straight through. Without Is it worth watching? Never saw I really it. Like, I really like Cloverfield. I like J.J. Abrams. I like that kind of movie. If you don't like the kind of movie Cloverfield is, you won't like it. Well, what is that? It's like, you know, shaky cam documentary kind of supposed to be all taken by some guy's handy cam. It follows a very small group of people through a big through an event that's much bigger than them without really ever pulling back to see the wider problem. Just It's basically like, you know, what is it like for these people in this horrible situation? So you have incomplete information just like they would. And you don't like zoom out to the military command headquarters or have a voiceover or show uh, a view of the earth from space with a meteor coming down or anything like that. It's just these guys and they don't know what's going on. Neither do you. And it's all shaky cam. Um, and it has a nice uh, depressing ending, which I like. Um, so if that sounds good to you, <laughs> yeah. watch Cloverfield. And if you like J.J. Abrams, All right. which I All right, well, let's wrap, let's wrap this up. Yeah. We'll come back. Well, we'll be back next week, noon on Friday. That's your time. Maybe we'll talk about technology. Yeah, maybe we'll divert the show back to that. What, we've what, exhausted all the non-tech topics. I think we have. I mean, except OCD, but we can save that for another. We'll say we'll do another month or two of shows, and maybe we'll come back for that. But I uh, can spin the OCD one into a tech topic. Okay. So maybe we'll start with that, but I, I would love uh, I would love to know if if next week we're going what the topic is going to be. Do you want to announce some options? Do you want to keep You're us so in the obsessed dark? with the, with the teasers? Oh, I don't even have my topic page. You're up the where... planner. I'm just trying to get people I excited about next week. Out there, I think you should pick one of the technology ones. Of I've course, got plenty of choices here from tech topics. I don't want to 
Do, how about this? G- guide me. Would you rather it be a hardware or a software topic? And that's all we'll say. I don't have any hardware topics listed. Right, well, well, seems well, like I think a, I think, soft, think software is better. Okay, software. Think, we will talk about software. Some kind of software. Some kind of software. All right. Well, thanks uh, to everybody who tuned in today for joining, and uh, we will be back next week. Mm-hmm.